Welcome to the Gerald Brooks Leadership Podcast, a deep dive into biblical leadership with pastor and author, Dr. Gerald Brooks. Hi, this is Gerald Brooks. Thank you so much for joining me for a leadership podcast. Hey, before we jump into the lesson, I want to put three dates on your radar screen. The first one is March 10th in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I will be doing a roundtable at a great, great church there. Steve Smotherman is the pastor. Also, on March 19th, I will be doing a roundtable in Rancho Cucamonga, California, which is in the L.A. area, and Diego Mesa is the pastor there, and he's just a rock star. And then also, on um, March 24th in Norcross, Georgia, which is the Atlanta area. Now, in any of these three areas, I just want to encourage you, if you can uh, just come and be a part, I think you will find that the content that we're offering this year is really, really valuable. I think it helps you to be able to lead in a profound way. You can go to my website, GeraldBrooksMinistries.com, and you can sign up there. That being said, uh, I want to jump into a lesson called Leadership Leverage. Leadership Leverage. I think we can all remember in uh, sixth or seventh grade that first time that uh, we are told about leverage and we're given the illustration of something that's really big and how impossible it is to move. And then you're giving a piece of plywood and you're given a rock or some kind of solid material and you're to place that plywood over it and use it to create leverage. It is the ability to do something that is bigger than you're capable of doing. Well, I want to talk about that from a leadership standpoint. What are the things that you're incapable of doing that when you do them, they create leverage for you? Let me go back into sports history. Um, Many Olympics ago, there was a 100-meter race, yeah, where they began to say, this is the fastest person on the planet. The space between the person who finished first and the person who finished last in the race, we're not talking about first and second, we're talking about first and last, was three-tenths of a second. Now, I want you to get that. Three-tenths of a second distinguished the winner from the ultimate loser. And within that span, there were microseconds that distinguished between second and third and fourth and fifth and sixth. So the whole illustration is this. Little things make a difference. Three-tenths of a second made a difference. Little things make the difference. See, the difference between average and excellence isn't far. It's just not far. Now, uh, staying in the sports arena, uh, I love football, and I read a lot about it, and I enjoy reading a lot about it. And there was a book probably 25 years ago that came out called The Game Plan, and it was a series of 12 coaches, NFL coaches, that was talking about their success or even their failure when it came to football. And one of them was a man named Norm Turner, who became the offensive coordinator for the Dallas Cowboys. When Norm Turner 
took over the offense of the Cowboys. The offensive performance level was the bottom third of all of the NFL. And one year, he went to the top third of the NFL. People were saying he was a genius. People were saying he was the smartest guy out there. But the reality was, when you would talk to him, he would say, I'm not the smartest, I'm not the best. But what I discovered was, is there were little things that our team needed to do within its current offense to be able to succeed at a higher level. He said, we didn't make dramatic changes. We didn't make big changes. We made some very, very small changes. And those small changes created results that were disproportionate. What is he talking about? Leverage. Little things that have big impacts. That's what I want to talk to you about today. Let me give you some of those as a leader. Some little things that you can do that create uh, leverage for you to do something that's bigger than you can possibly do. The first one is letting go of what you want to hang on to. Letting go of what you want to hang on to. See, as leaders, we hold tight to things that really we should let go of. Now, in a biblical perspective, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7 says this, casting all your cares upon him for he cares for you. What is he saying? He's saying that if you'll let go, I'll take hold. But I can't take hold unless you let go. If you'll let go, I'll take hold, but I can't take hold unless you let go. And what he's teaching is some simple truths. Some things only God knows. Let's just be honest. There's no supercomputer that's going to give us an answer. There's some things only God knows. And the fluid movements of life, how multiple movements will interact together to create a concrete moment, only God knows. So some things only God knows. Also, there's only some things that God can do. Not only are there some things only God knows, there's some things only God can do. And so in life, there are things that it doesn't matter how talented, gifted you are. You just can't do them. I can't do them. I can't cause a heart to beat. I can't cause the sun to rise. I can't cause the moon to move. I can't cause the earth to spin. There's some things only God knows. There's some things only God can do, which leads us to this conclusion. Some things can only be put in God's hands. Some things should only be put in God's hands. So there's some things that the only way they're going to be managed is you're going to have to put them in God's hands. They can't stay in yours. See, that's the art of letting go. If you let go, he'll take hold because some things should only be in God's hands. So there's some things only God knows, some things only God can do, and some things should only be in God's hands. So the question as a leader is, what's in your hand that should only be in God's hands? Wow. Maybe you need to think right now. Stop what you're doing. What is it that's in your hands right now? which should only be in God's hands. So if you want a little thing that can really create leverage, 
let go of what you want to hang on to. What you want to hang on to tightly, let go of it because as long as it's in your hands, it can't be in God's. How about this? Caring even if it hurts. Caring even if it hurts. In Matthew 24, in verse 12, Jesus speaks about the very last days. How this earth is going to look with sin running rampant as those last days begin to collide together, as man's behaviors begin to go to their worst. And he says in there, because lawlessness shall abound. People won't do what they're supposed to do. People will do what they're not supposed to do. It says the love of many will grow cold. It says because People are going to get out of control. The love of many is just going to grow cold. Now, I don't know if we're in the last days. I know that we're in your last days. We're in my last days. But I do know this. It's easy to not care. See, leadership is about people. And people have pain. But at times, they will let their pain And bring it to you and give it to you. See, in leadership, people hand off to you what they don't want. And one of the things they don't want is pain. Last night, I was in an event and that event, there was someone who came up to me and this person wanted to hand me their pain. Now, some people do that prayerfully. Some people do that with anger. Some people do that with attitude, but people hand off their pain. Now, when they do it negatively, it's easy for you to begin to say, I just don't care. And there's nothing worse than a leader who doesn't care anymore. No matter what's going on around, leaders are people who need to care. We need to care about who we are. We need to care about who others are. We need to care about what we do. We need to care about what others do. And we need to care so that we can say God cares too. So can you care even if it hurts? Can you care when people are handing you their pain and their disappointment, their struggles, their downtimes? Can you keep caring? Jesus said, Never give in to the temptation to lose the ability to care. Colin Pyle, who was one of the great generals in American history, he led the first Gulf War for the United States, a coalition of uh, about 35 nations after the invasion of Kuwait. When he retired, he was asked some questions. One of those questions was, What is it that we need to watch out for in our country? And he said this, we no longer cry. It seemed to be a disconnect between a general saying we no longer cry. And what he said was, he said, things that used to bother us don't bother us anymore. And when we lose our ability to cry, we lose our effectiveness to lead. Because we lead by being out of touch 
And there's nothing worse than a leader who's out of touch. Man, unpack that and spend a few minutes with that. The next principle is praying when it seems like it's not working. Praying when it seems like it's not working. It's just a little thing. Can you keep praying even when it seems like your prayers are bouncing off the wall? Every time you throw a prayer up, it just seems to bounce back further behind. You go get it, you throw it, it seems to bounce back further behind. You go get it, you throw it, it bounces back further behind. Jesus put it this way. Then he spoke a parable to them and said, Men ought to always pray and not lose heart. He said that prayer is one of those things that it's easy to lose your heart. I just don't have the heart for prayer. You know, I've prayed so much and I've gotten so few results. But see, what happens is, is that prayer is one of those things we must do. It's one of those prayers that you can do no matter where you're at and whatever's going on, you can pray. Now, if I could give you this perspective, as a leader, most of our prayers are plowing. We're plowing territory, either in our businesses, our life, our organizations, that seem to be ineffective. But before that field can bring a harvest, it has to be plowed. And what you need to know is, as a leader, most of your prayers are about plowing. You're digging up, you're rooting up. It's the hard part of having productivity and having a field. But here's the other thing. Most of what's preached on prayer is about receiving. See, that's the reason prayer seems hard to us because we preach about receiving in prayer when a lot of times we're just plowing in prayer. So can you plow knowing that there'll be a harvest in the future? Or will you lose heart and quit plowing and there will never be a harvest? So three things, letting go of what you want to hang on to, caring even if it hurts, praying when it feels like it's not working, and number four, finding moments for God. Finding moments for God. Now, this seems a little bit out there because God's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's everywhere that I am at any time. But in life, we need to find moments for God. So let me put it to you this way. How many times have you been someplace that you were present that you weren't welcome? I mean, isn't that a fun thing to walk into a room and to know that they really didn't want you there? That in that room, they really, really don't want you there. You're present but not wanted. But here's the thing. In Ephesians 5 and verse 16, it says this. It says, redeeming the time for the days are evil. Now, what that sounds like is we've got to minister redemption because there's so much evil in the world. But when you look at the subtlety of the language, here's what you find. It says redeeming the time because the times are filled with pressures. See, there's too much to do. And what it's saying is you've got to find God moments in the midst of busy moments. See, everyone who says, well, I just wished I had more time for God. You're not. I'm not. I have to find moments for God. I have to find moments where I inject God into my life. 
That moment may be me walking to my next meeting. It may be me being in my car alone. It may be me uh, letting go of my cell phone. But I have to find moments for God. So what the Bible says is, is that life is going to be so busy that you can leave God out of it. But you've got to redeem. You have to find, seize moments for God. Now, if you do that, I think you'll find a couple of things. One, every time you seize a moment for God, you create margin. You know how when you were in school and the teacher said, don't write in the margin or the margin needs to be clear and you're typing. Well, margin comes through solitude. When I just take a moment to be alone with God, and I don't let anything else get in the way, Psalm 46 and verse 10 happens. Be still and know that I'm God. And the way you create margin is knowing you're not God and He is God. Knowing that since He's God, He's in control and you're not. So when you find moments for God, you create margin. Also, when you find moments for God, you create perspective. And when we talk about perspective, we're talking about reflection. Now, I'm a highly reflective leader. In fact, before I walked in here, something had happened at the event last night, and some of my team members were involved in that. And honestly, I went home and I reflected on it. I wanted to make sure that I did service to the room, not to push a point of view, but at the same time be in a position where I was listening to what was being said, even if I was listening later than I needed to listen. Well, see, what reflection does is it creates perspective. And so when I find moments for God, I create margin because I'm still and I know he's God but I create perspective because I'm reflective and it lets God speak. Psalm 19 and verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations, the reflection of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God. So when I find moments, I create margin through solitude, perspective through reflection and strength by pausing. See, we always think I've got to, if I'm going to be strong, I've got to be working out. It's counterintuitive in kingdom things. If you're going to be strong, you slow down, you pause. I love the verse in Isaiah 30 and verse 15. It says, in quietness, that will be your strength. Now, that word quietness means just layers of things. But it means when you're not all worked up, you find God's strength. When you're not all worked up about an issue, you find the strength of God. Well, based on this, we've got to be quiet. We've got to find those quiet moments where we're not all worked up about everything. And so I gain strength by pausing. So... Little things, letting go of what you want to hang on to, caring even if it hurts, praying when it feels like it's not working, and finding moments for God. The next one, being faithful when others are not. 
we know that Jesus prioritized faithfulness. In fact, one of the places he said, uh, this is sort of the litmus test. This is sort of faithfulness 101. If you can't be faithful here, you won't be faithful anywhere else. He who is faithful in that which is least, talking about money, will be faithful in much. But he that is unjust or unfaithful in that which is least is unfaithful in much. Now, here's the thing about faithfulness. We've given you this definition many times. Years ago, when I came up with it, it just seemed to encapsulize the thought. Faith is when we trust God. Faithfulness is when God can trust us. So can God trust you? Being faithful when others are not. Our standard for our lives is never to be adjusted by the failure in other people's lives. So I don't get to say, well, uh, I'm a good husband compared to so-and-so. My wife doesn't compare me to so-and-so. I get to be a good husband based on my standard. And One of the things God asks us to do as leaders is don't lower our standards just because other people lower theirs. I really like that. Don't lower your standards just because other people lower theirs. And another thing, help the helpless. Jesus said in Matthew 25 and verse 45, And I say to you, inasmuch as you did to one of the least of these, you did it for me. You can always tell a leader by who they help. If they're just a leader, they help people that can help them. But if they're a great leader, they'll help people who never help them. Who can never help them? So if you're just helping people who may help you in the future, you're a leader, but you're not a great leader. Great leaders help people who can never help them. So let's go over the list, letting go of what you want to hang on to, caring even if it hurts, praying when it feels like it's not working, finding moments for God, being faithful when others are not, and helping the helpless. These are all little things. They're not big things. But if you want to be a profound leader, leverage these because they make a difference. As I said at the beginning, we have roundtables in New Mexico, Rancho Cucamonga, and Norcross coming up in March. I just want to encourage you to come and be a part. These are leadership moments that I think when you walk away, you'll say, I really felt leadership in that room. But more than that, I felt God in the house. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Gerald Brooks Leadership Podcast. If you'd like more information on Dr. Brooks's books, audio, or speaking engagements, please go to geraldbrooksministries.com.